Hi, this is Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 8 of the Clarinet.com podcast. I wanted to change up the format today a little bit and let you dive right into the music of today's guest, Eric Salazar. That track was called Sky So Blue and is featured on his debut CD that he'll be releasing in the late spring, early summer. So far, the podcast has really been featured a lot, um, been featuring a lot of established performers and uh, members of the clarinet community, and I thought it'd be really cool to start talking also with people who are just emerging as artists on the scene, and, and Eric's one of those people. He's uh, just 24 years old, and he's been working on composition, improvisation, teaching, the business of music, and of course, performing the clarinet, um, which is something that, as you just heard, he does very well. In addition to his work as all those things we just mentioned, Eric is also involved with a new International Clarinet Association's outreach initiative called BuzzRead, which uh, is, of course, a play on words for BuzzFeed. And um, it's reaching out to younger audiences, trying to get them connected and discussing clarinet. And there's a little blog. And uh, make sure to check that out, actually. Um, And also something called Classical Music Indie, which is bringing music to audiences that otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't get to hear it. So... We'll discuss all that stuff at length in the podcast. Um, Before we move on, I quickly want to just mention that the Martin Frost interview is coming. I did not forget about it, trust me. Um, We're just working on the final stages of some editing and and that sort of thing. So it should actually be released within 48 hours, and um, I do apologize for the delay on that. I know a lot of people are looking forward to it. Um, One more thing. With that, we had an absolutely phenomenal number of music... Um, musical questions submitted for Martin, and um, he has agreed to come back for a second episode in the future. Um, I just want to let you know that I I really appreciate all the time that people took sending those questions in, and I tried to sort of curate an interview that covered as many topics as possible, but of course there was at least 60 questions there, and there was just no way to to get through them all. So I will continue addressing those in the round two with Martin, and um, I thank everyone so much for their feedback. It's been really, really fantastic going forward here. So without further ado, here's the interview with Eric Salazar. I think you'll really enjoy this. We had a really great conversation. Welcome to the Clarinet Podcast, Eric. Thank you. It's good to be here. So improvisation, we've had a few episodes lately about improvisation, and um, it's something that you're very passionate about, and the show's not about improvisation, but I think it is a really interesting interesting subject, especially for for people who are looking to just get into music, or even for those who've been playing for, for a long time. Um, as classical musicians, it's kind of foreign territory a little bit. Um, you've got a master class on YouTube that I really enjoyed watching. It's about 30 minutes long oh. for those who would like to check it out. I'll put a link in the bottom here. Um, but you said that you always record your improvisations because you like both laughing and learning. Um, this is such a refreshing sort of take on this. Would you explain what you meant by that? Uh, of course, yeah. So uh, improvisation is like super important to me because, uh, you know, we're all under the umbrella term musician. We're all musicians. But within that, we've got our engineers and our creators and our athletes. Um, and it took me a little while to realize that I'm a creator and an inventor. And so improvisation just lets me create things that are entirely my own. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what I really like about that masterclass in particular was that uh, there were a bunch of people, like you said, who it's a foreign idea. They're kind of afraid of it. And 
I've sort of developed this formula to ease them into the idea of improvisation. So, uh, you know, sometimes people just get thrown into the ocean that is improvisation. And I kind of start off in the kiddie pool and then walk them over to the diving board when they're ready. But uh, I think improvisation does, as far as the learning side of things, um, there's three big things that it does. And the first one is it increases your confidence and your ability to make musical decisions. Um, it also is the simplest vehicle for self-improvement and it just makes you feel more connected. So when you're improvising, there's no composer or teacher telling you really exactly what to do. Some of it is, uh, you know, you have to just make the decision. So that's what I mean by uh, increasing your confidence in your musical decision-making, because once you do it enough, you start to realize that, uh, you know, the decisions you're making are working and it helps develop your musicality because over time, as your confidence is increased, you become more decisive and more, uh, you execute better when you have that confidence. So, and, the, uh, so that, sorry, just for one second here, that class sure. that we had on there, was that a college class? They look about college age. Yeah, it was uh, at Bowling Green State University, yeah. Oh, okay, great. And it's interesting because as it went on, you could see and actually hear how the confidence became more improved throughout. And they kind of went from sort of a nervous sort of energy to, oh, we're kind of working together. We're doing something interesting here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's what I like to do is to give that kind of gift to people that, you know, it's just music. It, it can be fun. <laughs> so I had a question about something you said there, though. Um, you mentioned that you found that you're a creator. And I think that a lot of people um, will be kind of set on edge by that in the classical community, because I, I know <laughs> that a lot of people who play in orchestras or chamber ensembles who don't write their own music, they would argue that they're creating the phrase um, kind of live and that the, the, the creative aspect is the interpretation of the page. Do you feel that that's a fair statement or that improvisation sort of goes beyond that? Um, well, I would say that I'm not, uh, first of all, I'm not doubting anyone's creativity at all. I know uh, what goes into really interpreting a phrase your way. Uh, I was speaking more along the lines of I feel like I need to create something that is solely my own. And that's oh, I see. kind of what I mean by improvising and composing. And mm -hmm. when you're interpreting music, you are creating the phrase your way, but the notes are already there. They've been written by someone. And uh, it, it's actually, it's funny, it's like a really similar process uh, when you're interpreting a phrase versus when you're composing it's just, I, I feel that my role is that I need to make something uh, different and that is my own. Well, and it's kind of interesting. It's, it's too bad that this became almost two sides of the same coin. I think there was a point where it was more like a sphere, <laughs> like music and <laughs> improvisation was all kind of intertwined a little more, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's a yeah. very Western, new... Uh, ideology that these things are really as separate as they seem yeah and uh 
you know, I think if we look at history uh, in education and music, like composing was part of that. Uh, if you go far back, uh, I'm talking like Renaissance era, uh, if you were a musician, you knew how to write and to uh, play your instrument and you played multiple instruments. That was part of it. And so I think, uh, you know, we've become really, really specialized in what we do. And that, of course, increases the efficiency of that specialization by a lot. Uh, and I just found that I, you know, I need that composition element. And I didn't know I needed it. That's the craziest part for me. When I was going through school, I really thought I was, uh, you know, one of the athletes where I take the mile and I run it better than everyone else. <laughs> so you take the concerto and you figure it out and play it better than everyone else. And I thought that that's what I was. But, uh, you know, once I left school and got my degrees, I realized there was this hole that I needed to fill. And that was composition. Well, you say such an interesting thing there, actually, um, regarding the sort of uh, specialization. I don't know if it would have been possible for people to specialize like they do today. 200, 400 years ago. I, I think they really had to be more versatile, but maybe you're right. Maybe that didn't lead to as high levels in each area. Yeah, I mean, it, it just makes sense, you know, if you put all your eggs into one basket, that basket's full of eggs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. So you have a CD, actually, of improvisations that you, um, and com compositions that you've recently recorded. Um, what, what could you tell me about this project? What was its goal artistically? Ah, yeah. So I, yeah, the journey began when I, uh, like I said, when I left school. And uh, I moved to Indianapolis, and I moved to town, and I didn't know any musicians, really. Uh, so, But I still wanted to play because I'm a performer. So uh, my... I think it's a very reasonable response. I just up and decided to create something that I could play with that wasn't a person because I didn't know anyone. So what I did was I took my computer and I learned how to edit audio and I learned how to program electronic music basically on my computer. So what I've done is I've, uh, when I compose I basically create electronic backing tracks and then I play live amplified clarinet with it so the the like practical reason for making this project was so that I could go anywhere whether it's a recital hall for a bar and <laughs> if I have my laptop and my clarinet then I can give a good show basically uh, but artistically what I do when I write music and improvise I really focus on defining a specific mood mm -hmm. and then I explore the different shades of that mood. So my goal, my angle with this uh, album is to give people the experience of feeling emotions they don't get to feel every day. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we're all working and you go to the office and you don't have time for anything except work and then when you get home you just want to go to sleep. So I try to give them... Uh, a way to feel something that they wouldn't normally feel. Um, could we play a excerpt from this on the podcast oh. to give people kind of a feel for it? Yeah, sure. Uh, okay. So the the first track would be a good one to play. Yeah, the first track there. What was the mood you were going for? It was really it was really nice. 
<laughs> so that piece is called Sky So Blue. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's supposed to just be a musical depiction of freedom. Mm. So the the image that I have in my head is like uh, like you're riding a, a motorcycle or uh, for me a jet ski. Like riding a jet ski and you the wind's like going through your hair and you just look up and it's like the bluest sky you've ever seen. And it's just that feeling of uh, freedom and that you know your responsibilities can be put on hold for just this moment. And so there's how many tracks? I think there's 10? Uh, it's 9 or 10. It's nine, 25 yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The last four were straight up improvisations that we just did in one take. I told my sound engineer to hit record and we just went. That's what I was going to ask actually is um, my next question sort of you have, you know, let's say there's 8, 9, 10 tracks on there. Which ones are composed? Which ones are improvised? Do, do you feel there's a difference for you? Or I, I think some people really feel like, well, now I'm writing music or now I'm playing music and, and there's kind of a, a disconnect. But how do you feel about it? Ah, well, I I cheated. <laughs> so some of it is uh, I wrote the electronic part very dil- diligently. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, then I just improvise off of the electronic part. <laughs> so some of it is like the electronic part is super composed and then the live clarinet part would be improvised. Uh, but there's also tracks where everything's fully composed. Like I composed the harmonic structure for the electronic part and I sat there and just for weeks figured out the melodies that I wanted on the clarinet part. I can tell you on the album, the last four tracks are completely free improv just no thought beforehand whatsoever and then yeah and there's one on there it's called soul search and it's like a low drone with wind sounds and it's kind of jazzy Mm -hmm. that one is uh the clarinet parts completely improvised but i planned the electronic part out and then the rest of them are just you know fully composed so when you play these pieces live um so for some of them, you're saying you bring sheet music, but for others, they're kind of a fresh experience each time? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, some of them I, I don't bring anything. And I have written parts, but it's all memorized now, so I usually just don't bring anything. I just play it either from memory or improvised. Well, people must like that, though. And, and based on your website, it looks like you take it to some more versatile places. Like you mentioned, you play in a in a bar or... Yeah, I mean, I pretty much just go wherever music is needed. Uh, one of the really fun ones is I played at this place called the White Rabbit Cabaret, and mm-hmm. that was a bar. And uh, there's a picture on my website, like, the curtains were, like, really sparkly, and here I am, a classically trained musician. I was just like, what am I doing here? But <laughs> <laughs> I played my stuff, and everyone really liked it. And actually, that night... <laughs> That night was a variety show, and the audience voted on who they thought the best performer was, and I won. <laughs> oh, wow. Congratulations. That's cool. Uh. <laughs> Sometimes it's neat to go out and expose people who otherwise wouldn't see something like that, um, this sort of music, you know? Yeah, I really I believe in that, that uh, mission of bringing classical music or classically influenced music to uh, people who really don't know what it is. I I mean, I just describe my music as contemporary classical mm-hmm. when I'm talking to classically trained musicians, but when I'm talking to 
people without musical musical training, I usually just describe it as indie classical. And that's oh, that's something. an interesting term. I like that. Yeah, they can latch onto that pretty well. Yeah, it makes more sense to them. They're used to the sort of more that type of separation. So your CD is going to be coming out in the late spring, I believe, potentially early late summer. Spring, you said early summer. Yeah, uh, okay. the date isn't like set in stone, but it, it's May or June. Okay. We're pretty sure. So for listeners, we're going to be giving away uh, two copies, uh, signed copies of his CD on the show here. Um, but unfortunately, you're going to have to wait a little while. So I'll keep your <laughs> names. <laughs> I'll keep your names in the hat, and and when that comes out, we'll, we'll make sure to get it to you right away. So, of course, we're talking a lot about music and improvisation, and, and um, but for the modern musician, it's really important to also develop a sort of business sense, which maybe is maybe is more important now than it used to be. Um, why do you feel this is important, and, and how do you think people should work to develop this aspect of their careers? Oh, yes, I love this conversation topic. I, I love it. Um, it's true that you do have to be able to do more than play your instrument to make a living these days. Uh, <laughs> I live in the state of Indiana, and as far as performance positions in symphonies for clarinet, like performance positions where you could do just that and you would make a living, there are five of those in this state. And how many and, people in the whole state? Uh, many. <laughs> <laughs> are we talking over a million? Uh, yeah, there's definitely hundreds of thousands. Yeah. Like there's, there's plenty. Not the best so, odds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I just, I want to live in the city that I'm living in, Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. That's where I want to live. Now, and I want to live here because my family's here. And I don't want to go somewhere I've never been and play with a bunch of people I've never played with when I could just be close to my family and still make a living. Mm -hmm. The trick is that second part, the making a living part when there's only five positions available. And I know all the people in those positions and they're not leaving anytime soon. So you have to find a way that you can make music and also uh, generate income that is mm -hmm. not one of those symphony positions. And this is, of course, I'm talking about if you're a believer that all you have to do is be able to play your instrument. So let's say, okay, you can play your instrument and you can teach as well. Great, that opens the door to like 12 more positions. So you're still less than 20 positions and there's going to be hundreds of applicants when one of those opens. So those are not super great odds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I feel that... These days, uh, you need to be able to combine a couple of different passions into one super career. And part of that, as a musician, like you said, you need to understand certain business things. And a big, huge one that I'd like to talk about is uh, this idea of networking. So networking, this was funny. I was talking to my brother about this. Uh, on Saturday, he's a certified public accountant. So he legitimately has a business degree and does a lot of finance work. And he was asking me how, you know, things were going. I was telling him about all this clarinet stuff. And he said, sounds like things are going well. How are you doing it? And I said, well, I guess it's 
it would be called networking, I guess. But you can get into a trap if you view networking as like a solely business transaction. <laughs> like, mm. I'll pass you three students if you pass me three pit workers for gigs. Like, if you do that kind of deal, you <laughs> the results are pretty short-lived, honestly. <laughs> so what I think is really important when we're talking about business, music business, is that you understand that networking is, uh, I mean, I just view it as making friends and helping my friends when they need help and asking for their help, and I need it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of develops into a long-term relationship, and then steadily over time, you work more and more together, and then all of a sudden, you have opportunities to do something you're really passionate about. So with this, uh, we were talking about the album earlier, that is a result of me becoming friends with three like hugely awesome people. A guy named Jordan introduced me to my recording engineer. My recording engineer's name is Doug. And Doug needed, he hand-built this awesome studio. And he needed to do a test run in it. And we hooked up and I was like, hey, cool, I'll be your guy. So we recorded it in the Clear Lab, which is his new studio. So I had this, and he was working on it for me, mixing it. And then I became friends with a guy named Charles, and he happens to be affiliated with this music label, New Ovation Music, which is in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking, and he said, wait, so you've already recorded it, and someone's mixing it and mastering it. And I was like, yeah. And he said, well, how about I just release it? So (laughs) that music label is going to release this album that I originally conceived as an independent project. That's pretty great. I mean, it's just everything snowballed because I really actually cared about the people I was talking to. They could pick up on that, and I've helped them out since then. And that, in my mind, is true networking. It's when you really, really care about the people that you're working with and you make something awesome happen. Well, so, well, I can't remember what book this was in that I read, but it reminds me of something that the person said something like, stop chasing money, stop finding other people to do things for you and start solving problems and everything will come. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me because you just said for this studio engineer guy, he had a problem. He needed to do a run through and test his studio and you were there. Yeah. So you yeah. had the opportunity for him all of a sudden and it makes your own opportunity. Right, you right. Know? And the label, too. They need music. They need quality music. Yeah. Look, there's some music. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, I already had it. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. And that's, that's a, so going back to the music business part, that is something that you, you know, as a musician, we're used to, okay, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to practice this until it's correct. Mm-hmm. And so you have to understand that there <laughs> the opportunity that happened for me is like what happens for everyone else. You know, what you said about seeking opportunities and solving problems instead of just going after the money or the title. And if I were to like give the listeners like one huge takeaway about like, what's the first thing they need to know about music business. It's that people make careers, uh, you know, shows don't make careers. Concert halls don't make careers. People make careers. Mm -hmm. So find the people that you work well with 
and work together to solve the problems that you mutually have. Yeah, I love that. That's and because uh, I know you're about to ask it, <laughs> I have What's that. Oh yeah. So my next question here was, you know, I I don't know if you were born with these abilities or if you had if you had like a really great mentor or maybe there was a book that kind of pushed you into this sort of mindset. What what was it? What kind of got you there? Okay. Yeah. Well. Uh, so I'll admit some of it is natural, <laughs> but I would say maybe like ten percent is natural, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then the re- the rest of it is I had a couple of awesome mentors and then. A uh, couple of really good reads. So the mentors, first and foremost, was my dad. Sorry, uh, a couple of good reads, like oh, no, like books, you mean? Yeah, I'm thinking not clarinet, clarinet reads. reads. You're silly. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, so the first like huge mentor is my dad, and uh, you know, a lot of people. It's funny when I talk about like the people that inspire me in my musical career. Hardly any of them are musicians. It's mostly like my mom, my dad, my brother. <laughs> but. Uh, my dad really taught me, um, I mean, he taught me like how to stand up when you got something to say and how to say it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he taught me a lot about like helping people because it's like doing the right thing just because it's the right thing to do, not necessarily seeking something in return. And that's a huge part of what I do. The other, I have to mention the other like, It's a collective group of mentors I had. And it's Fifth House Ensemble from Chicago. Uh, They run a summer music festival that is completely earth-shatteringly life-changing. And it's called Fresh Ink. Mm -hmm. And they teach you, yes, we play and we, uh, we perform. But there are seminars every day on the things we're talking about, the music business. They literally walk you through how to call someone and set up a gig. They walk you through how to devise a, a commission contract for a composer. And so Fifth House really taught me like a lot. It was stuff that I felt like I had intuition about, but it was really nice to see like some hard facts about it. So those two uh, groups, my, my family, specifically my dad and the the mentors of Fifth House Ensemble at Fresh Inc. were really big in my, like, sort of development of my music business skill set. And there's a really great blog by Seth Haynes, and it's called The Musician's Guide to Hustling. And if you're, like, if you have no idea how to set up gigs, go read his entire blog and you'll feel better about yourself. Like, he, he shows you how to do it pretty much. Does he so have a book too, or that's just a, is his website a blog? Uh, right now, his website's a blog. He's a horn player in Philadelphia, and he does consultant work. So he basically just sees, uh, you know, trends in his consulting and writes about them on mm-hmm. his blog. And what, what about you? Said there was a couple good reads. So there's the blog, and then was there a particular yeah. book or resource? Um. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I. I I guess I'll, I'll say it. It's sometimes I read textbooks for fun because I'm weird like that. <laughs> and so there is this book called The Project Management uh, Body of Knowledge. And it's abbreviated PMBOK. Mm-hmm. And it, it's all about 
project management, which is um, where you are the leader of a project and you find people and get them to work together to achieve a goal. And so that textbook like kind of helped me get introduced to this world of uh, business. And then I did some additional uh, research. There's also Indianapolis Business Journal. Sometimes I read that for fun. And so I wouldn't say that there is one like super specific music business book. I would say that I've read a lot of business things and applied them to my field of music. That's so interesting because a lot of people really view music and and uh, business is quite separate. But really, and, and I know this myself, I, it sounds like we have kind of similar paths, actually. Like I'm fully <laughs> self-employed and and uh, so much of what I have to do is business related, like figuring out where the money comes from and, and oh, uh, yeah. marketing and things like that. Do, do you mind if I recommend a book here? Oh, sure. So this is actually a funny story and I'll keep it short because of course this isn't about me, but um, <laughs> when I was graduating, I was kind of in this realization um, from my undergrad that I was like, oh my God, there's not a job waiting out there for me. Um, oh. What am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. So it was really weird. I was walking down this hallway and there was this box of books that said free on them in the music building. And I, I still don't <laughs> actually know whose books they were. I wish I could thank them. But there was this one book called Making Music in Looking Glass Land. And oh, it's yeah. a little outdated, but it went over all the things of like how to write a bio, how to find a photographer, how to do a headshot, how to be interviewed all sorts of things and it was a really really interesting read and sort of was I, I would say for me anyways but got me thinking about that stuff really for the first time awesome so, i'm gonna have to check that out yeah so again making music in looking glass land and i think what it's about is uh in alice in wonderland or something there's kind of an intro but it talks about how there's a place called <laughs> looking glass land and it doesn't matter how fast you run you're always standing still and that's kind of what it hints at or something. But no, it was an interesting book. And, and like I said, pretty outdated. It, I think it was from the mid-90s now, which is, my God, that's 20 years ago. But um, oh, yeah. but still, I mean, and that was before any of the Facebook and stuff. And I'll never forget a while ago, um, I won't say who, obviously, but I was, I was hiring someone for some gig and I needed a biography for this program. And they didn't have one. And... Whoa. <laughs> and they just and I was like, well, okay, so what am I going to do? Like, I, I need to do this. And it was just the way that it was. They didn't have a bio, and, and they were okay with that. <laughs> so ah, Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty strange. So speaking of all the connections and, and uh, building influence and, and all that, um, you're the community engagement coordinator at Classical Music Indie. Would you explain what this organization is about for people who maybe don't know and, and explain your role in it? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I love I love those people. Um, so uh, by now you've realized I am very classically trained but take a non-traditional approach. <laughs> um, and Classical Music Indie, their mission is to bring live classical music or classically influenced music to people who would never ever get to hear it so they do a lot of work in um underserved uh, underprivileged areas and so basically they give pop-up concerts and community concerts 
and after school programs and senior concerts as well. Uh, they are just really making classical music much more of a normal thing in the city of Indianapolis, which I love. And my role there is partial performing, partial uh, office. They have me play my clarinet, you know, whenever I can, basically, which is really sweet. It's like a very non-traditional performance position, which is cool. And I also am the guy that gets the community together and instigates our programs in their areas. So I'm the guy they send out to meet, you know, the principal of the school that we're looking to do our work in. And I, you know, pitch our ideas and all that, and I get them to say yes, basically. It's pretty much sales, except it's not sales because we have grant money for everything we do, so it's free for the people we serve. But you're still <laughs> selling the idea, though. I see what you mean that's by true. sales. Yeah. And that's another thing, actually. I, um, I, I'm i so stuck on this business conversation because I think it's so important. But <laughs> yeah. a, a sales experience, too, for a musician is very important, and and... I guess again, I got lucky. I worked a sales position for um, for an Apple type company, um, oh. well, selling Apple products when I was in in university, and I gained a lot of that. Like, how do you look at not again, not what can I make on commission from this, but what does the client need? You know? Yeah. And for this, it's like people are looking for an enrichment experience. Um, and if you have that to provide for them, you're not like selling doesn't have to be pushing on people. Yeah. You can be yeah. saying, here, there's something you want. Look what I have. <laughs> uh-huh. You know? Yeah. So yeah. is the name of that organization, is it a play on kind of the indie classical genre and the Indianapolis city name? Or what? can you explain the name a bit? Uh, no. It's, uh, so Indianapolis is often abbreviated I N D Y, indie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. just to shorten it. And so the, the name is just the shortened version of Indianapolis. Okay. But uh, what's interesting is it's an organization that went through some changes, and it was originally the Fine Arts Society of Indianapolis, and it's been around for about 50 years. And oh, wow. A few years ago, they realized like if they wanted to really reach the community in a bigger way, they needed to go through some changes. So they changed to classical music indie and they started really what I think is just genius for our field of music. They started bringing music to people mm-hmm. instead of making the people come to them. Well, that's <laughs> half the challenge. I don't know what it's like down there in Indianapolis. I assume it's actually kind of similar to here in Calgary. It's kind of a Calgary's a large sort of suburban type city and a lot of the people who would love to come to these kind of shows, um, especially older people, don't have access. They can't just get on the, tra- the, the transit yeah. and go downtown and check this out. And, and so instead of having an empty concert hall, maybe why not go play at some sort of like uh, care facility or, or whatever? Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think the trends in the field of music are kind of shifting that way. I don't think it's moving like super fast, but I think it is slowly shifting to like, just, you know, with Netflix and all that's going on, people like for things to be brought to them now, instead Mm -hmm. of making like a really big deal about going out and seeing something, they just want it to be brought to them. Yeah. And people are so 
portable these days. It's it's kind of odd that instead of going to so much stuff, they choose to have it come to them. But iPhones, everything's like in their graphs, yeah. right there. So we've trained ourselves to get everything like right there. <laughs> and people will even stream their concerts now. Yeah. And they have like a recital. That's something I need to figure out how to do. Do you know how to do that? Oh yeah, it's so easy. Just sign up for a free account on Livestream.com. And then if you have a phone or a laptop that has a camera on it, you're good to go. Really? So I'll, I might have to get in touch with you about how to do that. I've got this concert coming up. I need to live stream. So, oh, yeah, sure. It's cool. super user-friendly. Yeah. Cool. So speaking of branding and marketing and all this stuff, um, you just recently designed the logo for the new International Clarinet Association blog called BuzzRead. Now, that's got to be a play on words for BuzzFeed, right? Yes, yeah, it it's, is. It's pretty funny. It, you know, I when I saw that, I I had thought that I was pretty witty for coming up with Clarinet there, but Buzz <laughs> Buzz reads uh, pretty good too. Uh, well, I'm very flattered because we did some serious discussion and voting on the names, and Buzz Reed is something that came from my mouth. Oh, really? On the, yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> I uh, yeah. I'm so excited about BuzzFeed. So let me tell you a little bit about what it is. It's yeah, just what's the awesome. buzz? What's the buzz all about? <laughs> what's the buzz? We call ourselves the buzzers, the committee members. So, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, BuzzFeed is this new initiative effort by the International Clarinet Association to really push connecting young clarinetists and non-professional clarinetists. Mm-hmm. So... What we're trying to do is we have this whole huge community of young music students who love clarinet that don't feel like they can really connect to the ICA at this time. Mm-hmm. And so BuzzRead is supposed to be this young, hip blog thing that is partially educational, but also just partially fun. So it's our way to get those non-professionals and those young, young, like younger than university students involved in the ICA. And right now, what we do primarily is uh, we do our blog and uh, we uh, we make just like very short educational things like, uh, you know, something a high school student may have a question about. How can I articulate faster? And we also have, you know, funny things like the top six clarinet memes on the internet, according to the BuzzRead. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're really trying to, for me, uh, on that committee, I, I really want us to connect the clarinet community together. And the clarinet community, in my mind, is anyone who likes clarinet. It's not just professionals and professors. It's anyone who likes clarinet. And so we are, uh, I, I can't tell you what, but I can tell you that we are going to be uh, presenting at the Clarinet Fest this summer. And uh, I'm just super excited for these changes that we're going to help make. So that, um, when did that launch? Uh, let's see, when did it launch? It, it's... Not even a year old yet. I think it was uh, maybe October, November. 
Okay. Yeah. So I'll put Sometimes. a link to that in the bottom. Um, where, where can people find it? It's on the ICA website, right? Yeah, just clarinet.org. I don't have the hyperlink like memorized, but if you just yeah. click <laughs> on the BuzzFeed uh, logo. Yeah, I'll, I'll oh, put a yeah. link. And do you need to be a member of the ICA? I don't think so. You can just see it. Um, I think you can just see it, yeah. Yeah. But for those who aren't a member, you get, a, you get a, I think, a quarterly newsletter. Mm-hmm. And um, you're actually, and this was interesting to me, I didn't know this, but you get access to some really affordable instrument insurance as mm-hmm. well, which is a yep. great, great benefit. So I think that, you know, the more people do sign up for that, the better. And it really helps further the clarinet in, in the world. I went to the 08 one in Vancouver, and honestly, it was one of the best times I've had. I, I, I met a lot of great people, and, um, you know, it's funny because even someone like, I had Tom Pawalski on the show a few weeks ago, and he was reminiscing about his time there, and I was like, oh, yeah, I saw you. We, we chatted briefly. You probably don't remember, but, <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, it's a great, great time. So I'm hoping to try and make it out to Clarinet Fest this year, too, maybe. We'll, we'll see, but... Where is it this year? It's like in the States somewhere? Yeah, uh, like uh, Kansas City, I think. Yeah, somewhere around there. It's, it's a ways for me, but I think it's a bit closer for you. Yeah, <laughs> if we go, let me know. We can. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm still thinking about it. See so <laughs> if we can maybe take Clarinet Live down there or something, if I can generate some oh, interest that in, in that. So, All right, so is there anything else you'd like to share with listeners today that you've Feel like we didn't have a chance to touch on or go over? I I think we're good. I mean, we talked about the improvisation, the album, the music business. Yeah, we talked, really of, we talked about a lot of great stuff. So maybe I think we are we are covered all the bases there, as they say. Have you cool. heard of a uh, a podcast called Claren? Uh, sorry, <laughs> that's this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of a podcast called uh, Composer on Fire? I have not heard of that yet. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just recently found it, and he interviews composers, and he actually, the, the topic of the podcast, or the point, is to focus on the business aspect of composing and music. You should get in touch with him as well. It would be, okay. it's a, it's a cool. neat concept. It's, it's kind of like this, but more for um, composers, and, and it's more focused, I would say, as far as like exactly what they talk about, but... Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, you should check that out, too. I will. Thanks. So people can find you online. I'm going to post your website um, below, but it's ericsalazar.com, right? Or no, sorry, uh, ericsalazarclarinet.com. Yep. yep. And uh, you have an Instagram and a Twitter and all that. It's it's. There's so many things nowadays. It's it's not just reading a website anymore. Just check out the show yeah. notes at clarinet.com, and you can click on yep. any of those four or five, ten links yeah. that I'm going to put up there. I also pride myself in if you just type Eric Salazar clarinet in Google, it, it it's me. You'll <laughs> First be there. couple of pages. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something we didn't talk about actually, but search engine optimization. But maybe that'd be that'd be a topic for a second show. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So great. I'll put those things up there, and um, I'm also going to put that master class because that was just a really interesting thing to watch. And um, oh, when awesome. that record comes out, we'll mail out those copies and. Um, Hopefully we'll maybe bring you back and chat about it again. Awesome. Sounds great. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, Eric. Thank you, Sean. I had a great time. This is awesome. If you'd like to be eligible to win items mentioned on the podcast, please be sure to follow on social media. We have Instagram, SoundCloud, YouTube, 
Facebook, Twitter, and now you can also subscribe as an email follower on the website. See clarineat.com for details. If you'd like to support the podcast, please consider sharing it with your friends, discussing it in your own blog or podcast, and definitely please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. That is really, really helpful. And it's still, we've maintained a number two spot on the iTunes uh, new and noteworthy list in Canada. So that's absolutely fantastic. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.